This podcast is made possible by your support and your donations. Thank you. And by the purchase of my book called Everyday Buddhism, Real Life Buddhist Teachings and Practices for Real Change. I will post an affiliate link to the book on Amazon in the show notes. And if you've already read it, please take a minute to rate and review and also consider purchasing it again for a friend or family member as a gift. Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to episode 97 of Everyday Buddhism, Making Every Day Better. I am very happy to share the wisdom of Gemma Natrakach, a member of our Everyday Buddhism community and Sangha. I asked Gemma to join me for a conversation on the podcast after listening to her share her reflections and insight about her experiences as a refugee from Ukraine. Gemma is an ICF and IPEC certified coach and founder of Social Media for Coaches. She is also a U.S. Army vet and a member of a three-culture family. She is deeply committed to using her experiences to champion the voices of those who have been uprooted from their homes. Her wisdom was sharpened through her own experience as she and her family made their way from Ukraine to Wisconsin in February 2022. After asking her to be a guest on the podcast, I found out that Gemma has written a book called Surviving Patriotism. It's targeted for release in the upcoming year, 2024. This work serves as a testament to her emotional journey during her and her family's evacuation and subsequent resettlement. I am so happy I was able to share this conversation with Gemma, my Sangha sister. It really helps gives us helps give us a bigger perspective, a perspective from the real life experience of a woman trying to make sense of everything that happened to her and her family who were driven from their home and their country because of war. Among other things, we talked about how home and community is where you make it. The complex emotions of hating and then trying not to hate the enemy, how rage doesn't think, reflect, or consider, how war is romanticized, and how we feel pressured to pick a side, labeling one as bad and the other as good, and the ways we might help when we feel utterly helpless. I am positive Gemma's reflection on her experience, her honest sharing of what she went through, and her thoughts along the way may help you see war, anger, rage, and propaganda from a broader and clearer lens, a lens outside of our cultural or tribal bubbles. I know it did me. 
A note about the background noise on Gemma's audio. She has she has some chatty parakeets, but they I think they add a lot of cheeriness to an otherwise heartfelt and 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 painful subject. So without additional introductory comments, the conversation starts now. I am here with Gemma Natrakach, a member of my everyday Buddhism community and Sangha, and I'm so happy to have her agree to be a guest on the podcast. Welcome, Gemma. Hello. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, everyone listening. I'm so excited to be here, and it's an honor to be speaking in a thoughtful space regarding all of these topics that we're going to go over today. Yes, exactly. And and that's I feel so blessed that I have somebody sort of embedded in my community to be able to t- address these things. Um and as I've shared with you privately ahead of time, um I've been awed and this is not I just told Gemma I wasn't BSing her. Um, I've been awed by the amount of reflection that she's done about her experiences fleeing Ukraine and the resulting wisdom she has so eloquently shared with our community. So when I started hearing more and more about her experience, I was like, and especially as soon as the the war happened in Israel. It was like a pile-on situation of violence and war. Um, and this is when I knew I needed to invite you as a guest on the podcast, since it seems the timing is right to like, you know, calm down, chill, you know, get our yeah. crap together and so forth. <laughs> but before we go into the deep dive of the emotions, the insights, the reflections. I wondered if you could just give us a, a sort of your background story. Uh, who are you? You know, you've been a lot of places, so this may take a while, but feel free <laughs> to take your time to to explain who you are and where you've been before we get to Ukraine and you're having to flee. So my name is Gemma. I come from a third culture family right now. So when I say that, my daughter was born in Ecuador. I was born in the United States. My husband was born in Ukraine. So we have a lot of cultures coming together and languages as well between all of us. It's English, (laughs) Russian, Ukrainian, and Spanish. So We have a different perspective on a lot of things, and we've learned early that really home is where you make it because we don't really fit in anywhere, and at the same time, we're able to kind of adapt everywhere. So apart from that, um, I am an Army veteran, and I focus mostly on being a combat medic. And also I was in the chemical uh, division as well. Can you, can you um, uh, clarify that you were a United States army veteran? Uh, Yes, yes. Uh, I was a U.S. army veteran. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's that aspect of it, especially when we start talking about, you know, war and things like that. So 
I have the civilian perspective and also a, a veteran perspective. And, you know, of course, I've lost lots of friends in the military as well. And that's just another layer of mm. what we will be speaking about as well. So, um, yeah, I, I grew up uh, as far as how I got into Buddhism. I grew up in a household that was a teenage mother that got pregnant. I was a result. She was drug and alcohol addicted. And I kind of grew up just taking care of her. She got pregnant with me when she was 16. She didn't really believe in God at all. And so it wasn't something that came into our household. But what I learned is that she would be whatever religion to get benefits or donation <laughs> or anything like that. So I grew up kind of with a basic understanding of so many different types of religions. And at the same time, I didn't really have a good relationship with any because I saw like the deception that went into it, at least from my mother's side. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why, why is everybody ignoring this? Like I would tell people like, I hate living with my mother. Like, please take me. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody, like nobody would do that. And so as I grew, I knew like I needed to get out of here and leave. And that's, that's kind of what I've done. So is that why you joined the army? Yeah, that was one of the reasons that I joined so I could get out of the United States and leave. <laughs> when did you join the army? <clears throat> So that's a good question. I don't remember the exact year. Um, when was it? 2000 and 2005 is when so, I entered. So yeah. it was in the midst of um, Iraq. And, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Just, yeah. I'm just trying to place all the, the, the craziness, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. So, and I wasn't in very long. I, so while I was in the military, I ended up getting sexually assaulted and then I was discharged. So I spent time after that working for the government, like in the Colorado Springs area. And I, I wasn't happy there. And I traveled for work and I ended up um, having some medical conditions and they told me that I had what's called a pseudo tumor cerebri and they wanted the VA or the, the army veterans affairs. There we go. Yeah. And they wanted to do brain surgery and insert a shunt into my brain and pretty much told me like, you're, you're not going to be able to work for a while. And I was supporting myself. So I packed up and moved to Ecuador. I'm like, well, if I'm going to die, I need to be able to live off my army money, my army disability check. And um, yeah, <laughs> so I I moved to Ecuador. I, I had my daughter there and I ended up working online and was hired by Microsoft. So then I worked for Microsoft and I met my husband there. And he was from Ukraine and then I ended up moving to Ukraine and we got married. And then my, my job, I worked at Microsoft Ukraine. And then of course that led up to 
the evacuation and leaving Ukraine to come to the United States. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much in between, but I mean, I that's know kind of are... the gist of it. I know you're leaving a lot out, but that's almost more than most people can even process. Do you understand? Most, I think uh, that's a lot. It's, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. And um, you didn't have the operation for the tumor, right? I did not. After I looked into it, I felt like there was more disadvantages than advantages to having the surgery. So I didn't do it. And then when I went to Ecuador, I magically got better. Don't know how that happened, but well, I have been it, healthy ever since. Well, and, and and also could have been a misdiagnosis, right? That's I absolutely. I think, yeah. So you know they they know sometimes they you have these strange conditions you know, I call them strange, but conditions that are strange to the medical profession in that they can't fix it. Right. And so yeah. then they place something they can fix onto the thing they can't fix, <laughs> which can cause you more problems than the original thing. Uh, that sounds ridiculous, but uh, I think you and I know what I'm talking about. Uh, I, yes. I have a audio, a couple of overlapping autoimmune conditions and it, it's always like the, the treatment is seemingly always worse than the disease. And, and whenever they say, we could try this, we could try that. And I always say, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll, I'll live with what I got. I, I understand it. The devil, you know, right. Is better than the devil. You don't know. So, um, so here you are after a pretty traumatic childhood, early adolescence, uh, early adulthood uh, um, in Ukraine, but you've married a wonderful guy, you have a wonderful child, and it sounds like you found a place in Ukraine that seemed great for you, comfortable for you, right? You, You became I, since you kind of like beat it out of the United States, it sounds like you adopted Ukraine as your country. Absolutely. I, yeah. Yeah. Is that true? Absolutely. I mean, my daughter, she grew up there. Like her first school was the Ukrainian school. Like she, she learned to write in Cyrillic alphabet before wow. she did English alphabet. So also, I mean, I had a sense of family there. Not only did I have my husband, but his family, like they were more like family than my own family. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, it, it, we, yeah, it was just, that's where we live. That was our home. So coming back here has been an adjustment, but now of course we've, we've made this our home as well. Yes. But I think that's a, the key to the making your home in Ukraine kind of sets the stage for the trauma of having to lose it. Right. Once you, once you found it and we'll get into that, but um, your story, we'll tell We'll talk more about your story as far as where, where it gets you in the thinking about it, what had, what happened in having to leave and, and all the things you, you went through i mean the emotions are probably overwhelming for both you and your husband and your daughter i would imagine i'm sure mm-hmm. your daughter has a little bit of trauma there too i know you guys probably take care of it very well but 
um, much of much of what you've shared with our community mm-hmm. is about learning how to reflect and deal with feelings of hatred and division towards the so-called so-called enemy. I, you know, yeah. enemy is a word used in a lot of Buddhist literature because it's something we can understand, even though we may not want to think of it as an enemy, right? Um, yeah. <clears throat> but the the way you have shared this, and this is, I'm sure you will get to this because you you free you are eloquent in this. You you freely share these things. Is um, uh, it reflects the sort of the deepest of Buddhist wisdom, really the deepest of Buddhist w- wisdom. And interestingly enough, um, it shares what President Biden spoke about yesterday with something I imagine you didn't even know about. But he he flew to Israel yesterday, and um, in you know, despite what you think about you know um. um political or this or that he he had some i thought brilliant things to say in 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 about dealing with uh hatred and rage Mm -hmm. and all the things that happen and he said that um he said that he gave a gentle warning to both the country of israel and the people of israel is not to give in to what he calls primal feelings and I think we can understand that. And he said not to let our overwhelming grief and despair or over, over overpowering anger drive the country so far as he believes America did after September 11th, 2001. So mm-hmm. he was criticizing that. And he said, this was his quote, he said, shock, pain, rage, all consuming range. Um, he said, and this was an address to the Israeli people. And he said, I understand. And many Americans understand you can't look at what has happened here to your mothers, your fathers, your grandparents, your sons, your daughters, your children, eat babies and not scream out for justice. Justice must be done. But I caution this while you feel rage, don't be consumed by it. After nine one one, we were enraged in the United States. While we sought justice and got justice, we also made mistakes because rage will make you make mistakes because mm. it's it's it it rage doesn't think it doesn't consider it doesn't reflect. And I'm going to just say this, and I think this is going to kick you off into everything you want to say. Um, <laughs> this is comes from and I don't know if you know this book, Gemma, this is comes from The Way of the Bodhisattva by Shanti Deva, which is the Dalai Lama's favorite book. It's one of my favorite books. It's my Bible. I have it in every room <laughs> of the house. Um, and this is this is the line I wanted to read. It's the verse. It's written in verse, which is beautiful. And it's written by this, this uh, Buddhist teacher thousands of years ago, but he sounds like he's talking about today. And it's 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 absolutely amazing. And hopefully our Sangha will study it together very soon. So he read in the chapter on patience, there's this verse that says, although it is their sticks that hurt me, I am angry at the ones who wield them, striking me. But they in turn are driven by their hatred. Therefore, with their hatred, I should take offense. Mm. 
I like that. Yes. So that's yeah. my way. I'm like going to swing open the doors. <laughs> I said that. And so now here's Gemma. Tell me more of your story. Oh, I mean, our topic today is really a heavy one, you know, yeah. war and how do you process? I like it's so far removed from like what most people would consider like the peaceful ways of Buddhism, exactly. you know, at the same time, I think there's a lot to learn from it because every day we're tackling our own battles, you know, yeah. and internal, external, whatever it is. And so reflection is a huge part of that. And I've learned so much about myself and about people and emotions and, and everything through this process. And growing up the way I did, I think it was very easy to make excuses, to blame others. And, you know, looking back now, I see how much I, like hurt that I caused others. Like I would lie about my mother and my father and my job or whatever it was. And it was a way to fit in because everything that we're talking about, I really think goes back to community Yeah, and people wanting to fit in. You know, when we're born, we are born pure and wonderful. And we learn from our community and the people around us. Our first experiences are with maybe religion or with being a certain thing, a certain right. label. And so it's up to us if we want to accept that label or not as we grow and learn from our own experiences. And so... I didn't know any better better when I was younger because I saw how my mom was and I I reflected that and I had my values and really what I learned about those emotions then I mean I didn't see it then but what I learned was they were my brain was protecting me and I had some values I was lying in order to protect myself in some way even though it doesn't necessarily make sense yeah. But at the time, I thought that. Right. So as I grew and went through these different experiences, I kind of came into this realization like, okay, we often ask ourselves like what we're doing wrong so we could fix it. Mm -hmm. When a lot of times we have to equally ask what we're doing right so we can get more of that. Ah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that, I think that can also be, you know, depending on your intent. I think we talk about intent a lot. Yes. And I feel like I'm probably going to go in circles as we have this conversation. But on the grand scheme of things, when we look at war and we look at these leaders and things like that, they were all born as children as well. Yeah. They, for whatever reason, grew up, made choices and had experiences that led them to where they are today. And as I look back at my own childhood and think about like where some of my childhood friends are, 
I very easily say that could be me. I could be a drug addict. I could have committed or not death by suicide or whatever it is like that could have been me. Right. Right. And so that little piece there makes me kind of think, I have no idea what I would do if I had the same experiences as some of these people, maybe like Putin, for example. Right. I have no idea what happened in his life that made him get to this point. And I'm sure maybe it didn't start with bad or negative intent. Maybe he genuinely thought that the decisions that he was making was good, or at least they were good for him. And maybe he's still thinking that. I, I have no idea because I don't know what he's going, what's going on in his head. I don't know what it's like to be responsible for an entire country or to make the decisions that he's making. Right. But could it be me? Mm-hmm. I'd like to think not, but at the same time, I've made horrible experiences or made horrible decisions in my life. I just happened to change them. Yeah. You know, you're bringing up a valid point. I'm going to let you get back to it. But uh, my teacher, uh, Reverend Coyle Cabosa, said to to break down Buddhism into the simplest terms, you know, like the, the you know, like impermanence and interdependence and, 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 and emptiness, which means nothing is a discrete thing in and of itself. Um, and that, that there's suffering and all that stuff. If you break it down to the simplest terms, it's a matter of conditions acting on person, place, and time. Hmm. If the conditions that acted on say Putin or your mother or, or or my mother or any or anything like that if 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 those conditions acted on that person at that time because you know 50 years ago is different than now and 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 so person place and time makes can can actually um create a whole different person like it can it can turn into a doctor it can turn into Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde you know it can turn into a turn a sweet person into a killer and 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 you know and and what makes like um um you know jihadis you know like Hamas do what they do we can take our guesses because of sort of some of the things that happened to the Palestinians but then again we're not there. We don't know. And I think that's kind of what you're saying, right? Absolutely. I mean, if if I really break it down into a matter of, of life and death, if somebody comes to me with the intent to kill me and my family, I'm going to defend myself. Right. And if I were to kill them, of course, I would feel horrible because that wouldn't be my, you know, necessarily my intent but when it comes to defending my family that is my intent so it it it's so hard because from a soldier perspective I don't necessarily would go I wouldn't necessarily go to war and every day I'm thinking like oh yes I'm an American and we're gonna like we're good they're like that's not what most soldiers are thinking 
most soldiers are just thinking, I don't want to die. I want to protect my friends. And you do what you have to do in that situation because there's other people that have weapons or they want to harm you. And so, yeah, it's, (laughs) it's one of those things that, you know, in Buddhism, I think a lot of people have this idea like, you can't eat animals, you can't step on ants, you can't do anything that's going to harm something. But at the same time, I also feel like there's this, you know, we also talk about the middle path or the middle way a lot of times. And if you have to defend yourself, or you have to do something that society has deemed good or bad or right or wrong like stealing a loaf of bread to feed your family or something like that there are situations that could be maybe reasonable to other people and I don't know it's it's hard to say that I think no I I, to- I totally understand it and and that actually brings us up to the point of where like you reflect on all the, you know, it's like we talk in Buddhism about emptiness. And so nothing is a discrete thing, right? Nothing is mm-hmm. a thing of itself without the the people, places, and conditions that are acting upon it, right? Is what we're talking mm-hmm. about. Now, um, you talked about like, so here you are, you're an, you're, you're an American adolescent or early adult and and you feel like you have to get the heck out of the United States and you join the army and you have to get us. So there's this person, right? This Mm -hmm. person to me doesn't seem like the person you are now and probably not to you either. And, and, and you had a certain, certain understanding of, of the United States um, you know, you, you, you were, you bought into the, to the, the overall culture of it, but yet you didn't like it and vice versa. And then you got into the army, which has its own culture, I'm sure. And then, then you, 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 uh, you go to, uh, Ecuador and I'm sure there's a whole culture there that you've absorbed and become a part of, you know, and then you go to Ukraine and then there's a culture there that you've become a part of. So like we, we can, we can hop around and sort of like follow, like, what is that? Four or five different gemmas, right? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and, and I think most people, if they're like, if they were born in like, say Wisconsin where you are and and they grew up in Wisconsin and they that's how they think right that's their and that's what kind of creates the tribalism in the in the you know in the this is how it is obviously I'm right you're wrong everybody else is wrong and it's like you've explained in our in our sangha that um all these cultures have so much to do with it even linguistically that has so much to do with it so would you talk a little more about that because it's like i think it would blow a lot of people away just to think about how many different people you are (laughs) or have been yeah it's very true it so in my experience when when i talk about everything going back to community people desperately want to fit in. And 
I'm not an anthropologist or historian or anything, <laughs> but from my understanding, it was a survival because who you were born to, you were born vulnerable, couldn't take care of yourself. So you had to get that love, affection and protection and everything from your community. Right. And so people want that. And by doing so and wanting that, they create these labels and then they also segregate or not segregate, but they put themselves apart from others. It's yes. you versus me mentality. And so when we grow up or when we're in a community and we see something or experience something that's different to what we know, there's maybe fear that goes into that because, oh, it's this is my community. We having something else come in might change things or it's scary or whatever it is. And that's kind of what happened with me as I was moving around. Mm -hmm. I had this one culture of coming from my mother. And then when you get into the military, it's like everybody's singing American songs and you're talking <laughs> these things and you want to fit in because... Right. It's a matter of life or death. If you don't trust the people that you're next to, how do you know that you're going to survive? Yeah. So yeah. having a strong bond is really important. And if you, dare I say, go against that, you're ostracizing yourself from your own community. And how are you going to survive then is kind <laughs> of where it goes. So when I went to Ecuador, I think I had the mentality like, okay, I can't be like the normal foreigner that comes here. I'm in somebody else's country. I need to adapt and integrate myself as much as possible so that I can fit in. And I did, I, you know, learn the language yeah. Can I interrupt? Oh, I forgot. Why did you go to Ecuador? Or did you tell us why you ended up going to Ecuador? <laughs> okay. So that's a big medical. Yeah. That is a big dump. So when I moved to Ecuador, it was because I had, well, I already have some autoimmune disorders as well. And I had some injuries when I was in the military. And I ended up having what's called a pseudotumor cerebri and it was pretty much swelling of the brain and they were giving me treatments very often for like lumbar punctures almost weekly and they recommended that I get a shunt inserted into my brain which I decided against and since I couldn't work because of I was having medical issues and I had nobody except for myself to depend on at the time I decided to pack up everything and move to Ecuador. And then when I was there, I magically got better. But that's <laughs> a different thing. Some people say that it was related to my Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Um, but I again, I don't know. I just know that it's gone and that's great. So. Yeah, right. Wonderful. And so you picked Ecuador because you were always interested in the South American uh, culture or? Not at all. Not <laughs> at all. Um, so again, growing up in actually a very racist household, my mother was extremely ra racist. <laughs> so 
I kind of rebelled against her as I got older. And I was like, I don't care. I want to, I got to be friends with every foreigner in the school, every different race that I could in all of my different schools, just almost to piss her off in the beginning. Yeah, I get it. But then I realized that I made connections with these people and it started to change me. And then mm -hmm. I was no longer that same person anyway. So I knew that I wanted to move to a foreign country. So I had to make my decision, okay, which country? And Ecuador, I had read that there was a lot of like retirees that could afford to go down there on their pension. Also, Ecuador uses the US dollar instead of their own country, like currency. Uh -huh. And I was like, okay, I, I think Spanish would be easy to learn. I, I could do it. And it's not too far from the United States. And I don't have to worry about conversion fees. So I packed two suitcases and showed up there in the middle of the night. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> really? So it didn't speak a word of English or, or, or Spanish, I'm sorry, at all there. And then had to just learn. And so after living there for you know quite a few years, I loved it. I tried my best to fit in. I started, I learned Spanish, started translating for foreigners that would come down. Um, and, you know, it was really wonderful. Everybody that was Ecuadorian in my little neighborhood, they treated me as if I was their own. And so at the same time, I also learned that no country is perfect because right. in the United States, there's always battles and debates on politics. Well, yeah. the same goes for Ecuador and even Ukraine. Also, I think in the United States, there's also, again, this community where it's us versus them. And so some Americans maybe don't like Mexicans or whatever it is. And there's that dispute. Well, the same in Ecuador. In Ecuador, it was like, oh, but the Cubans and the Colombians. And so I realized then that no matter where you go, your community always has their eye on other people as well. Us versus them. Right. Creating others out of everyone else, right? Yes. You, yes. You said that beautifully. <laughs> so... <laughs> It really does happen. And even within the community, like in Ecuador, there is a lot of racism. There's a large population of Afro-Ecuadorians, and then there's indigenous, and then there's what they call mestizos, which are mixed European. And, and so there's colorism. So when uh. we talk about racism, well, within the communities there's also colors and lighter skinned people of a certain ethnic group are treated differently and so the community aspect is very interesting to me because it's just i mean the way people think and try to bond right. and everything right there's that sense of community there's that sense of belonging but as as you said creating others out of you Everyone know. else not like yeah. us. And exactly. Not like us at the time, too. I mean, it's like because we change, right? Like you've been how many gemmas we've already said. <laughs> <laughs> so you you left Ecuador. 
mm-hmm. and went to Ukraine because you met your husband at Microsoft when you began working for Microsoft, correct? That's the story? Yes. So okay. I worked at Microsoft and um, I met my husband and then went over to Ukraine and married him and then we've been together ever since. <laughs> so so tell me about you, you, your experience in Ukraine prior to the invasion. I mean, there was always Russia causing problems even prior to this 2000 whatever it was, 21, right? 2021, major invasion. Um, but mm. they invaded before in like 2014. And I don't know if you were there then, um, the Crimea and all that. But um, were, y- you you saw that culture too, right? And even yeah. though it was Ukrainian culture, it still had those same earmarks that we're discussing right right oh yeah absolutely so you know with you you go there and you listen to your ukrainians and they're talking about like the belarusians and then the russians just like you know maybe we talk about mexicans canadians or whatever it is it's always something and i've noticed and i think this is just a thing among people with different cultures you do change when you go into the different cultures or when you speak the different languages. So like when I was in Ecuador, I dressed a certain way and spoke a certain way. And it's really funny because sometimes people are like, when they hear me speak Spanish and they're a Spanish speaker, the accent that I have and the way I look, they assume that I'm from Argentina. (laughs) And they're like, but you don't sound like a white person or you don't look like you're from this country and I'm like well I'm from the United States and then I'm like oh but you speak like us so you're our community now yeah 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 you'll put in the effort and just because of that little effort that I took to learn a language then or the culture even that made a connection between us right and then the tribe adopts you (laughs) yes and same you know with going to Ukraine it's like Okay, well, I'm in Ukraine. I don't even understand this alphabet. It looks like backwards English to me. <laughs> it certainly like, does. what is this? <laughs> yeah. So I went in with a lot of maybe common misunderstandings or perceptions as an American. I thought, well, Russia and Ukraine are the same, right? Like, isn't Russian, like, isn't Ukrainian language just a dialect of Russian? And it's not the case at all. Like, yeah, uh, Ukrainian language is actually closer to Polish than it is Russian. It's just they share the same Cyrillic alphabet. Yeah, and I've only recently learned that. And, you know, because... You wouldn't know that in America. I mean, you you kind of lump all those Eastern European countries together. And if it was like a former Russian country, well, it's Russia, right? Yeah. <laughs> Plain and simple, open and shut. Exactly. And not to mention, you know, with the language aspect, if you don't speak another language, it's a lot of information that you're not getting because you're only getting either the positive or negative propaganda in your own language. Yeah. So we were actually in, well, in America, I would say influenced by Russian propaganda. Like if you look at maps and things like this, 
Ukrainian capital city, um, I think most Americans learned a lot of geography and pronunciation. We did in the this. last couple of years, yeah. <laughs> so I think that most people would say, um, like, let me say it in the Russian way if I even can, uh, Kiev. Kiev yeah. is what most Americans would say. It's written on most maps in Russian translation rather than Ukrainian. So I think it was K-I-E-V. Right. And that's the Russian translation. So it's not like we were already given this propaganda and it spread like wildfire. So Americans only know their perspective. And you Russian know why? I'm just curious now. This is my curiosity overcoming me. Why in the world would we adopt the Russian propagandist linguish, linguistic, you know, like I was raised thinking it was Kiev, not Kiev. Uh, and and it's like, why in the world did, did our country adopt the Russian r- rather than the Ukrainian, which we are very... American people are akin to Polish people. So why do you understand? I don't, I don't get that. Why did that happen? Do you know? Well, Russian propaganda, they are so good at it, right? Yeah. Oh, good point. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really a matter of, well, I guess an American saying might be the squeaky wheel gets the oil. <laughs> okay. So when you put the information out there enough, whether it's true or not, it sticks. Uh, absolutely. Abs- that makes right? perfect sense. Yeah. And we can say that about ourselves and our own experience. Maybe we told ourselves some lie in the past, like we weren't good enough or whatever, but we said it so often that we believe it, even though it might not necessarily be true. true. Got it. So yeah, Russia has a lot of propaganda techniques that they use. They also... um. Like when they go and start wars and things like that, some of the first things that happen are disinformation, Yeah. right? Nowadays, we're seeing AI-generated photographs and videos. Mm-hmm. So that's another aspect on top of things that people don't necessarily know what's true and false even. Right. So, and then there's the actual... I guess, deportation and killing of people. So Russia has this habit of starting with artists and scholars and burning books and things like that, because if they can get rid of the culture, then it doesn't exist. And so people can't say that it's important or whatever. And so that's what they did. That's what is happening now. So For example, Russia takes children and deports like thousands of Ukrainian children to Russia, takes them from their parents, and then integrates them into Russian society. And children are the most vulnerable because they want to belong and they learn. So if you're hearing from other Russians that oh, we saved you from Ukraine. Ukrainians are bad and this and that. They raised them in that. And hopefully that sticks. Right. right. So, I mean, there's there's really so many aspects, but how American adopted it is I think that the Russian propaganda was just more widely available at the time. 
So right. they don't think something so simple as a spelling could be wrong. Right, right. I remember I remember the first time I heard Kiev in the way I heard it in my head always all growing up was Kiev was back when the the hubbub was around the um the uh, Trump forcing uh the Ukrainian president mm. to lie about Biden and and then he caused trouble for the ambassador and <laughs> and then it's the first time I ever and they all and all the the testimony in this stuff was they kept talking saying Kiev and it was the first time I heard it and it was like and I mean I'm 71 years old so that was only a couple <laughs> years ago it's like oh wow how could I be so ignorant you know <laughs> yeah but that's the thing it's not it's not our fault. That's what we were taught or learned. It's a matter of when we're presented with the truth, do we choose to accept that or not? And yeah. And you know, only you, Gemma, coming from the propaganda <laughs> that is widely distributed in the American culture and the propaganda that is distributed in the uh, Ecuadorian culture, and then the propaganda in the Ukrainian culture dis distributed either by Ukraine or Russia, only you can say, oh, this is propaganda. <laughs> I mean, I think it almost takes... Absolutely. The, yeah, it does, it does almost takes the ability to like be plopped out of your propagandish place to another place to see that it is in fact a lie oh yeah i mean you're when you're in america you're like wow wow we're american land of the free and we have freedom of speech and all these freedoms and it's amazing here and it wasn't until i lived elsewhere i'm like wow like especially in the last few years yeah yeah I think that I think I and I know maybe this would be upsetting to some people but I think America hit his peak or hit its peak and the mindset hasn't changed but economy and rights and things like that have almost regressed or Absolutely. degraded so I felt like for example, in Ecuador and Ukraine, I felt like I had so many more freedoms because I could do essentially what I wanted because they trusted people as individuals. Like, it's your life. You're responsible for it. And so while they do have some laws, it's like if I wanted to have a house in, in Ecuador and painted pink, I mean, I could do that and not have to worry about an HOA or something coming to me, telling me, oh, this doesn't go with our community guidelines. Or zoning laws or whatever. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So if I want to build a shed in my yard, I don't have to get a permit or do this. <laughs> and I, I understand that it was born out of safety and concern, but then there was this threshold, I think, that it became where just don't trust the people to make their own decisions anymore. No, I, so, I, hear, I hear you. I mean, I, I see both sides of that. And, but yet at the same time, we just put up a privacy fence and had to get it uh, approved, had to get the drawings <laughs> approved. And now we have to call it's now installed and we now have to call and get it inspected, even though like it's, it's just a silly fence. I mean, come on. 
I mean, it's not like a house or anything. It's like, no, I do get, I get why it happens to sort of protect uniformity, make safety uh, codes and, and so forth. But at the same time, I think the, the deeper, the deeper issue here that I think we're like talking about is that, um, you know, it's, I hate to use this analogy because it really is gross, but it's like the boiling frog. Have you heard about it? If you boil frogs slowly enough, it doesn't know it's being boiled and it won't jump out of the pot. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so it's like, I think in our country, if we have grown up and if we've not been anywhere else, right. If we've grown up and I think this is not just true for the United States, although I think it may be worse for us because we're like the spoiled brats of the universe or in my <laughs> mind kind of in a way but anyway i think if 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 we if we've grown up long enough thinking like we're the best and everything we do is right and this has got to be the way it is and everybody else is are these backwater you know <laughs> you know, back, backwater hoodlums or whatever. Um, <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? And they're just, they're just, just not smart enough to figure it all out. It, it, that's sort of kind of ingrained in us unless we're like in another place long enough to see that. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I had all of those same feelings myself. I thought Ecuador and Ukraine, like, oh, these are like second and third world countries and they're probably so disgusting and poor. And like, I had these initial thoughts and it wasn't until I lived there that it's like, well, you know what? There's good and bad places everywhere you go, (laughs) right? And coming from Ukraine recently, it I mean, coming to Wisconsin, I know it's a little different maybe than San Francisco or New York or some of these other places, but coming to Wisconsin specifically, it felt like stepping back in time (laughs) because where we lived, it was very modern Uh and it was like, wow, like I didn't know people still did this or (laughs) I have to pay with a card. Like I can't just use my phone or like it, it just these little tiny things that were just so different. And when we got back, we were just bombarded with like advertisements and political ads and all of this stuff. And I think what I noticed the most is how people, and and this also could be with the internet as well, but people are stuck in a bubble. And on the internet, your content is curated for you. Mm -hmm. So if you have racist tendencies that's what's going to be shown to you right so unless you make the conscious decision to get out of that bubble and make a connection with somebody else then you're just going to stay there and it's going to be this cycle and I think that was definitely for me I think as because I'm also a coach and as a coach and someone that considers themselves Buddhist like I had this struggle for a long time where I'm like, these are what I am. So I should represent and be the best possible version version of that. So if I'm really angry, does that make me less of one of these things? Yeah. Or I almost felt embarrassed. Like, 
oh, I can't coach people when I'm going through this, or I can't talk about Buddhism when I'm going through this. It, that is so true. And and that brings us to the anger part. Yes. Because, <laughs> and, and I know this is harder for you, um, but here you were, you had to flee your country, you had to flee your home, you had mm-hmm. to flee your family. Um, and I suppose you had a choice. I mean, you you could have stayed there, uh, yes. and you you can talk about this, but you chose to flee. But in dealing with the anger, and I bring this up because I, and one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on now is the 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 anger that's swirling around the Israeli Palestinian conflict uh, that's taking place in the Gaza Strip and mm-hmm. Israel. Um, it it's it's so fiery and it's so it's so hard to reconcile for for those that are looking at it from one side or the other as well as those of us who really don't have a side per se and you must have had unbelievable amounts of anger towards the russians um and so can you Tell us a little bit about how that all felt and about what you had to do and why you had to do it and how, how you got over, if you, not maybe got over, because maybe you didn't, but how you are processing that. Yeah, even to this day, I mean, I can sit here and say these nice things and <laughs> make it sound easy, but there's still days or moments that that anger boils up mm-hmm. and I have to stop and think about the things that I'm telling everyone and also myself. And so it's just a matter of continuing to do that. And the more I do it, the easier that it gets. So really leading up to the full-scale invasion, of course, there was a war before. And what a lot of Americans may not realize is that a lot of Ukrainians felt United States and some other countries were responsible because United States had asked Ukraine to get rid of their nuclear weapons and they would protect them if they did. So Ukraine, we gave up nuclear weapons. And then within a very short amount of time, Russia took over, how would you say, uh, Crimea is how. I mean, I don't know so, how it's supposed to be said. I said Crimea. You could. Yeah, yeah. Crimea. I'm, I'm so. No, no, no. It's just a matter of I want to say it the way people because in in Ukrainian, it's actually Krim. So Uh it's very different. But Crimea. Yeah. So it was like, then people were like, hey, you guys told us to get rid of the thing that protected us. And now you are not protecting us. So the war had been happening on the East Coast. And to give a little perspective as well, Ukraine is one of the largest countries in Europe. Right. And Ukraine is about the size of Texas, if that helps. That so help. the entire eastern side of Ukraine was pretty much at war. We would consistently hear like stories of soldiers being killed and things like that. And another thing that happens is on the western side of Ukraine, the language is pretty much Ukrainian. But they have like mix of Hungarian and also Russian as well. So it's like this dialect almost. Whereas the further west you go, the more Russian it is because 
there's more Russian influence, propaganda, and also they took over Ukrainian schools and started making them speak Russian and things like that. Uh, So just a matter of language is very political. So when you open your mouth to talk to somebody, depending on how you talk, they're going to label you automatically. Unbelievable. And so imagine that happening here, although we kind of do, because if we hear sort of a draw from Texas, (laughs) right, we, we maybe make bad connections, right? Absolutely. That does happen. So, you know, as far as kind of what was leading up to it, in Ukraine, of course, there's Ukrainian and Russian language. And the media and news, of course, are in Ukrainian and Russian. So one of the other ways Russia was able to use propaganda is because they infiltrate the media and they put out disinformation within Ukraine that they want. Right. So any sort of Ukrainian independent news stations and things like that, you would often hear of them getting murdered or something like that. Wow. That happened because again, Russia knows that you put out this information in your language, this is what's going to happen. Wow. So what happened leading up to that was normally you hear about a couple of you know soldiers dying on the west or the east of of ukraine but most people lived normal lives and i think it was maybe something happened in december or january i can't really remember but i woke up one morning and i had a ton of messages from my foreign friends saying, Gemma, are you okay? Like, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. What's going on? So I Googled (laughs) it and I hear all of this stuff about Russia because fortunately we do speak other languages. So being able to access American media and things like that was very beneficial to us. Right. And you could share it with people who couldn't, right? Exactly. Your Ukrainian friends and family. (laughs) So, yeah, because they weren't getting that information, even like it was scary because like even the just the weeks leading up to it all the time, people are like, what you know, what's going on? And the full scale invasion happened on like the 24th of February 2022. And even like the very, very beginning of February. I had people, why aren't you leaving? And I, nothing is being reported in Ukraine at all. I'm like, I don't know. I just ordered Domino's. Everything is absolutely fine. <laughs> like nothing is different. I'm going I to get just my nails done. I ordered Domino's. I love it. <laughs> like, okay, so got it. It was, it was a very different sensation as far as media. And then I had media actually reach out to me and say, can we interview you? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I was like, well... You know, I'm listening to American media. And the thing that kind of worries me is if they do invade airstrikes and things like that. And we had a very lengthy, quite a few different conversations on Zoom. And I happened to look for like the news source and I see my face and then I see like Russian tanks in the background. I'm like, they edited out so much and just picked the parts that they wanted to in order to show that on the news. Yeah, it was a it was a shock and awe. It was clickbait. Yeah, right. 
Exactly. Clickbait. And so that's happening to so many people around the world, right? Again, right. this propaganda that they want you to believe something. They're, right. And this is another thing that I, I really realized was that people tend to romanticize war. You mm. have to pick good or bad. There's always a good or bad. You have to choose sides. Yeah, good point. And that's not the case. Like, just because people want Ukraine to win, right, is their, their <laughs> word. We want Ukraine to win. Doesn't negate all of the bad things that happen in Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. There is corruption and there are hurt problems like with the government and with banks and all of these things and it's just you know it's difficult sometimes because people want to just disregard all of that and choose good or bad and same with Russia like I have never lived in Russia so I can't say I know a lot of Russian people but I'm sure that not every person is bad, you know? Yeah, and I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. And just like, even if I think of like Putin or somebody, people get this idea in their head that every day that, oh, Putin, every day he's just plotting how to destroy the world. And like, <laughs> or even, even when it comes to refugees, people have this image of refugees in their head that are maybe not well-dressed or not well-educated or they just, they're always sad or something like this. And that's just not how it works. People go through a range of emotions, happiness, sadness, whatever it is. And that is important to remember. So when it comes to my feelings of like leaving Ukraine, every choice is very personal when yeah. you're in that situation. And fortunately we had actually just sold our house so you mean we you were had living already, already sold the house we had already sold our house and so we were living in an apartment and like I kept hearing this news and and it was making me worried and I was telling my husband mate let's just go to Poland for a little bit like take a vacation or something like that and we're like, in we're in where in Ukraine did you live? So we actually lived in a few places. I mean, we did live in Kyiv. Uh, uh -huh. Then I don't know if you've seen on the news, there was a place called Irpin. Oh, yeah, yeah, Ir yeah. Irpin, yeah. I'm so learning Ir a lot about the geography. Yeah, right. Yeah, so Irpin, it was so crazy because that was hit really bad. And we almost bought a house there. Wow. Like I looked at a school and I saw it was completely demolished on the news because that's where we were going to send our daughter. And so it was really crazy to actually see that. And, you know, my my daughter often asks, well, we ended up moving to the West. Uh -huh. um, There's some cities there like Lviv, Lviv and yeah. like further down in like Zakarpatia region is like uh, Ushrod and things like that. But anyway, um we decided okay we're we're gonna go to poland just in case like we'll pack up and everybody's like why are we nothing's gonna happen up until the very day it happened nobody in ukraine knew nobody was like oh yeah this is gonna happen unless they spoke english and believed the media yeah because the american media was 
telling that all the time. This is going to happen. Yeah. This is going to happen. It's like we we have we have secret ways of knowing this and we know they're going to invade. And it was yep. even reported to us that nobody in Ukraine believed it. Yep, that's that's absolutely true. So we ended up packing up and we got to Warsaw, Poland the day before the full scale invasion. Oh, my gosh. And so while originally we just thought, well, maybe things will blow over. Nothing will be bad. We'll just go for a vacation and come back. Yeah, right. You know, as soon as we got there, I I don't know. I woke up at like four o'clock in the morning and I happened to check my phone. And it was just like this moment of, oh, my God, it happened. And I woke my husband up and we tried to get a hold of our family. And then it was all of a sudden all these feelings at once because it was like, happiness that we were safe right it was guilt that we left our family right it was worry because like what is what is going to happen like this actually happened we never would have imagined that this would happen it was not reported anything and what's going to happen next right and, and are so, you safe in poland that was another thing because rockets don't know an invisible boundary. Right. You can try, but even now there's reports of like pieces falling in Poland and Roma Romania and things like that. So, I mean, you can only do so much. And there was some issues with Russia taking over nuclear power plants because Ukraine has a lot of them. They even have one of the largest in all of Europe. And right contamination the wind is going to move right into europe the water about, yeah all of that and people don't realize like the prices in the united states are changing because food of the war right. comes from yeah it comes from ukraine like fertilizer comes from russia belarus and ukraine so it is impacting us on some level and i think that in that moment, when all of this stuff happened, it was so overwhelming. Everybody was just like, we hate Russians. And I was like, yeah, me too. I can't believe this happened. Like, I was so furious. Right. And it, I would post even on social media content saying like, you know, Russia is awful and things like this. Of course you did because you 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 yeah you were caught up and you had to get it out and you were yeah. feeling all there like I read that statement about uh President Biden like the rage the rage the rage it's just overcoming you right exactly and so and apart from that going back to the community if I were to say anything it could potentially make my family and friends question because it's like why are you siding with the Russians or why would you defend them or something like that? So it would be almost if I kind of defended them, like I was separating myself from my friends and family. Right. Right. So it, it was a lot to process and it ended up on Instagram an acquaintance from Norway. He sent me a video from a Russian professor and I watched it. And I think that was really the first time I was like, you know what? Yeah, like not every Russian is a bad person, right? It's not this good versus bad. And then 
when I started reading more with an open mind into the media, I would see Russian soldiers are being killed like nonstop. And that didn't make me feel good. No. I mean, it didn't. And so I had to start thinking like, as a soldier myself, like, yeah, especially I because don't of have, that. Yeah, I don't have a choice. I'm going in, I'm doing what my leadership is telling me. I don't necessarily have the full picture, but I know that I don't want to die. And so I can imagine from their perspective that's happening too. Of course, in in situations, you have people that always that don't always have pure or good intent. Right. So there are complete atrocities happening. Not gonna discount that at all. At the same time, that's happening from Ukrainian forces as well. Exactly. And so, and, and I've seen that. And I've there there's been some some things written about it, but people like to <laughs> there's the good guys and the bad guys. And in the way they look at that, then they can't see the other, you know, and this, not that you can really comment on Israel and Pakistani and Hamas, but yet again, you can, I'm going to ask you to, um, mm -hmm. because the rage on both sides of this issue. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if you had, look at this as from a side perspective because a lot, a lot of people in the United States do they're 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 either very very pro israeli or they're very very pro pakistani or they're very but if you look at this just the way you're talking about it like there is there aren't good guys and bad guys there are horrible things that are done mm -hmm. and war in and of itself is horrible it's like you know that old song that i grew up with you know war what is it good for absolutely nothing right and mm -hmm. and you probably don't even know it you're too young um so <laughs> it because it was about the vietnamese war and mm -hmm. and uh, which was the war i protested in my day um mm -hmm. uh, so but the thing about it is is that it's like the rage that both sides feel we we can we can identify with it on on both sides, right? But at the mm -hmm. same time, in our social media, in the mainstream media, and it, it's the drumbeat of all of this, just makes us all crazy. In in a in sort of, do you know what I'm saying? And I I wondered if you, when this all happened here, and I know how kind of post traumatic stress disorder works, did it make you feel that those feelings again or did you just tune it out because it wasn't related and no of course I mean there's more than just these two wars happening oh, there's exact things going on in Africa so like the way I see it is we only get a small perspective yeah we all only use our five senses <laughs> and then on top of that, we use our experiences. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a very small perspective of what's happening overall. And when we think about things, like people so often look at a situation and think like, oh, I can change this. Or if we did this, we could change the war or we could change this outcome. Right. 
But looking at it the most basic level, think about how hard it is for us to change ourselves. Yeah, exactly. So if we have such a difficult time changing ourselves, what makes <laughs> us think that we can change others and even entire nations? Exactly. So when it comes to helping and we think about like our perspectives and what's going on, I think it's important to acknowledge what's happening. So when I look at the situation, my initial thought, like my initial thought was I kind of want to side with like the Palestine mm -hmm. because from my perspective, Israel is somewhat like Russia because yeah. But, you know, with the Gaza Strip and everything, it's like those people were treated poorly. They were treated like second-rate citizens of something that didn't even belong to anywhere or anyone. Right. So at the same time, when I look at it from a different perspective and slow myself down, it's like, I don't know the culture. I don't know the language. I don't know what's true and false because I'm getting media that is edited. I'm right. getting information that's biased. Right. I'm getting information that is not necessarily true because I haven't experienced it. So it's, right. I can't say one side is good or bad. I mean, I often think of, well, what would happen if United States went to war with Ukraine? Where would I side? What if Ukraine went to war with Ecuador? Where would I side? If I'm living in Ecuador and Ukraine is attacking, well, it would be in my best interest almost to side with Ecuador. Well, of course. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. So even though they are like both my countries, right? So I think looking at this situation and how to process it and how to help, I think just, just saying that what is happening, there's no right or wrong side. I'm sure that they're both doing what they feel is best to protect their people. Right. Whether they're making good choices or not, I mean, that yeah. that's beside itself, but they are also all families. They were all babies at one point that had experiences to just make themselves different from each other. Right. And I mean, they have families and children and, and all of these things. They, I think at the end of the day, most people just want to live their lives in yeah. the best possible way. Right. And what's happening doesn't change that. No. And, you know, it's it's like the Dalai Lama says, you know, my, my religion is kindness and it, it's and it's like a lot of the Buddhist teachings and, and a lot of our vows. It's all about may all beings be happy. May all beings be at peace. I mean, that is all we all any of us really want. I mean, yeah. um, but in the recent years, you know, the divisiveness, I mean, we're at each other's throats about whether someone's wearing a mask or not. I mean, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's not even bombs. It's like, it, it, it's like, it is, it's, 
like I think you said it something about sometimes I you think that uh, our culture, the American culture is going backwards and losing freedoms. And I think we've gotten nuts, to be honest with you. And it's it's like but but it's like I do believe that we think we're I think social media does this is like I think Andy Warhol, who's somebody also you probably don't know or haven't heard of because you're too young, um, but he was this pop culture icon, uh, an abstract painter and stuff. And he said he believes at some point in 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 the future, everyone will be famous for 20 minutes. I think <laughs> social media made it so that we all think we can, we have an opinion and our opinion is right and we're entitled to give it. And it's like, I just think we should all shut up, really, honestly. Like, yeah. To, do, do you know what I mean? So I think what you're saying is true. If if we didn't have so many opinions, I think then we'd have time to think about how they were all babies and, and, that, and that we don't know what made Putin Putin and we don't know what made... Uh, you know, we just don't know yeah. what makes terrorists terrorists, and we just don't know. And if I were in the same situation as they were when they were children, I might be exactly the same. Hopefully not, but maybe I would. Yeah. And I think you said that at the beginning, and I think that I think you you really brought it full circle. Um, and boy, yeah. I, you, you you didn't disappoint, Gemma. I I mean I I I think everything that you said is something that I think a lot of people would not have the benefit of understanding because they have not lived through all the different experiences that you have. And so, before we close, is there anything else you wanted to say? Oh, I could go on. It. I mean, it's a lot to unpack in a short of amount of time. Right. And, you know, there's so many people in the United States and other parts of the world that want to help. And I think that's beautiful. And I think going about it from how can we help locally? Because I know that's the question. Where do I donate? What do I want to do? Yeah, that's a you good know, question. Yeah. There were people that were on this trend of donating to Airbnbs. And while yeah, that, in Ukraine, I remember this. Yes. Yes. And I mean, from a Ukrainian perspective, it was like all of the rich people have these Airbnbs. The people that are affected by the war the most do not have extra houses and rooms lying around. <laughs> and apart from that, a lot of oligarchs and Russian pro-Russian people have Airbnbs as investments. Right. So potentially those people that donated were funding the war or something like Red Cross. We're familiar with Red Cross here, and that might be a good organization here in the United States. However, in Ukraine, it is very corrupt. They are a part of the community that's deporting Ukrainian children to Russia because they are corrupt. So even though that we have our own viewpoints and experiences and we're getting these things from social media and everything else, it's like before you jump on that train and you don't know the culture, you don't know what's going on, take a step back and think about what you can do in your own community. Like maybe it's just something as simple as 
reaching out to your local like Jewish community or the Palestinians in your community or the Ukrainians in your community and without any sort of judgment you know share a coffee share a meal just talk you don't have to provide financial or material items in order to change the world I think when you just share that connection and but like Connect to somebody that is different than you. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's where you can help. That's where you can make the difference. Have your children be friends with children of different religions or countries or whatever. Because what I'm hearing a lot lately is this hate crime that's happening here in the United States. Right. And it's like, why do you need to get just if they would just talk and get to know people first and make a connection, then that situation would be avoided. So I think that that would be what I want to leave everyone with (laughs) is just taking a moment to stop and realizing what is it that you can do? How can you change your perspective? How can you look from within and do something locally because you can't I mean like I said you can barely change yourself because it's so difficult so thinking that you can have this huge impact on the world or the war absolutely but it starts with yourself first and making the connection exactly and I think you made a really good point about having introducing your children to other children of different cultures, nationality, mm. races, so forth. And because that's what creates like sort of the situation that creates that that um, sense of hate crime. Because if, if someone's raised in a family who who is extremely racist and they use derogatory terms towards, you know, racist, xenophobic, whatever, um, homophobic. And so if, if those those um you know slurs get bandied about in their household and they you know those things happen well that's how they're going to be right re- that's how they're going to think that is exactly how they're going to think so that is yeah. true and for those of us um that you know i think a lot of times americans mm-hmm. are so um they just think our mon- money will solve everything and i think it was an important point about the so- red cross can be corrupt you know, it's that's not like this. And and it's, I'm not saying the American Red Cross is corrupt, but I don't know, because there's this huge organization that that, you know, the, the money isn't getting into the hands of the people. The clothes aren't getting into the hands of the people. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. just <clears throat> even if it's not something that is directly related to the wars or whatever, just, you know, our 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 closed drop box at, box at your local mm. church and the local food pantry just that you know that's something and you can you can consider it a war effort if you want you know what i'm saying it's yes. it's it's helping people then that's important so it's great you brought that up Gemma thank you so much <laughs> and, and thank you <clears throat> for being a guest on the podcast. This is, I think, the first time 
we had on the public podcast, we had a member of our community. So this is a, oh. a first. So, and, and I'm I'm very thrilled to be able to to have you on. And and when I'm going to promote Gemma has written a book <clears throat> that hopefully will be released sometime soon, maybe in the next year in 2024. She. The, the working title and then maybe the ultimate title will be Surviving Patriotism, which sounds absolutely awesome. Love the title. <laughs> um, so when the book is released, we'll have you back on again as great. <laughs> the author of a newly released book. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, you know, for having me. I know this is a topic that's on a lot of people's minds and they want to just learn how to process or what they can do. And I, I think it's important to talk about, especially from a perspective where there's no judgment and right. you can see both sides and what would you do if you were in that position or, you know, I think it's just so important to have these types of conversations instead of pointing fingers and blaming and not wanting to hear other perspectives. Yes, exactly. And also uh, being able to be open with our feelings and say, hey, we don't know. We, mm -hmm. just, we just don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, the, that's the thing about um, in, in Zen Buddhism, we talk about I don't know mind, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. And and we, we walk around, I think, parade around a lot saying we have the answers, we have the opinions, we have the... It's wonderful just to talk to somebody and say, I didn't know what to think. I didn't know how to think. I don't know how to feel. It, it is. This is how, how I saw it from my perspective. So that's yeah. wonderful. That's wonderful. It's, it's so good. And I, I think another important thing is to remember that, you know, acknowledging these emotions is important, but realizing too that negative well what we would consider negative emotions right. can also be the catalyst for change yes. and if i'm angry about something it might motivate me to make a change or if i'm sad about something it might motivate me to do something so i'm sitting here having this conversation with you and maybe people might think wow she's got it all together and that's not necessarily <laughs> the case Something might happen tomorrow and I'm going to be so angry and raging for a moment. Yes. Yes. And that's, and that's it. You know, it's like, uh, I've always said, and, and it's like Buddhist, you know, everybody thinks Buddhists are, you know, so peaceful. And then they, <laughs> and, and if you're like a, a, somebody like a Buddhist teacher or a podcaster or a community, then they, then they think you really have it all together. And it's like, I always, and Gemma, you'll testify. I always testify all the time on Sangha. I tell stories about how I get mad and how I get angry and how I, I mean, it's just like, that's, if we pretend that that's happening, then we are denying people's ability to come to terms with their own anger. You know, yeah. if we're pretending that we got our shit together. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And, 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 absolutely. Which, so I'm glad neither one of us do because that made it for a good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yes, I'm excited. I think, like I said, I'm just so thankful that you had a uh, had me on and we were able to have this discussion. So all thank right. You, thank well, you. Th thanks again, Gemma. You have a wonderful afternoon and thank you for um, being a wonderful podcast guest. 
that's it for this conversation with Gemma. Um, I, I'm sure you, you got a lot out of what she shared. You know, these are tough times for all of us. But the more we try to talk to each other, rather than doom scroll and find reasons to choose sides on any issues, the better you, your neighbors, your family, your town, and the world will feel. I hope this episode gave you some things to think and talk about. Next up, some announcements. We are newly into a study of the Pure Land Sutras in the Everyday Sangha, where you can join me and others, including Gemma, in our private donation-supported Sangha that meets, meets virtually via Zoom every other week on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. The Sangha is studying the Pure Land Sutras with the book Great Faith, Great Wisdom, Practice and Awakening in the Pure Land Sutras of Mahayana Buddhism by Ratnaguna. Our meetings consist of a service first, including traditional vow recitations and other invocations like refuge, bodhisattva vows, etc., chanting, and a short meditation period. The service in introduces more ritual and liturgy into the structure of our meeting, much like you would find at a non-virtual Buddhist temple, Buddhist church, or Buddhist Sangha. The service includes a Dharma talk by one of the practice leaders, or myself, Wendy Shinyo-sensei, and sometimes Dharma glimpses by our Sangha members. After the service, we open it up to discussion of the current book study, or of anything that was inspired by one of the Dharma talks or by everyday life. Consider joining the Sangha at this time to be a part of this relatively new sutra study and the practice and a warm and welcome Sangha community. You can learn more about the Sangha by viewing the latest bonus YouTube podcast where me, Bradley, Sensei, and Terry Sensei, our practice leaders, talk about what the Sangha and what everyday Buddhism is all about. You can also support this podcast and the other activities of everyday Buddhism by becoming a communi communi community member uh, for $5 a month. If you do, you will have access to all members-only podcasts, an education series, the Introduction to Buddhism course, the new Everyday Buddhist Book Club, and a private group on a non-Facebook platform. If you don't follow me or Everyday Buddhism on any social media platforms we post in, you can go to the Everyday Buddhism website and join the membership community or the Everyday Sangha. Go to www.everyday-buddhism.com and click on either the tab that says Join Members Community or Join Everyday Sangha. Or you can join through Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Everyday Buddhism. Links to joining the Everyday Sangha and the membership community are posted in the show notes. I thank all of you who contribute. This podcast, the community, and the Sangha depend on your donations to continue to exist. I don't seek sponsorships, I, and I don't ask for financial commitments through a paid podcast membership. 
So my work and the cost needed to support everything I do is entirely self-funded except for your donations. Please consider a one-time or continuing donation through Patreon or on my website's Donate tab. And if you're not ready to donate on a monthly basis or even a one-time donation, you can buy me a coffee on the coffee cup link on the website. You can find all these links in the show notes. And thanks, too, to all of you who write in with comments and questions. As the latest bonus member podcast illustrates, I read your emails and may even pick your question to feature in a bonus podcast. Another way you can help is to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It's important to share the podcast with others if you find it helpful in your life. And if you could, take a minute to comment so people will know why you love everyday Buddhism. That's all for the announcements for this time. So until next time, keep finding ways to make yours and everyone's days better. Mm -hmm.